0: Welcome back to Prognosis Ohio. On today's show, we get back on the horse and ride again, beginning with a roundup conversation with David DeWitt and Jake Zuckerman of the Ohio Capital Journal, who catch us up on all things health and healthcare at the Ohio Statehouse. The main goal here is to find out what we've missed while the podcast was on a break. As you likely know already, it's been frustrating, concerning, and even ridiculous on many fronts, but we try to make sense of at least some of what's been going on. I thought we had a great conversation. Since it's been a few months, let me tell you a little bit about what we've been up to. I wish I had huge news or something totally exciting to share, but the truth is that the past few months was for me a period of reflecting on the point of this podcast, thinking about my interviewing abilities and what I wanna get out of my time with guests, but also just trying to take care of myself a little bit. When I began this podcast a few years ago, I of course never envisioned that we'd get hit with a pandemic. But as you may know, during the early months of the pandemic, I shifted this thing into high gear. My every-other-week show became a weekly show, and I just burned myself out—and to a point where the quality dropped and my own anxiety level went through the roof. So I've taken some time to reflect on a better approach, and I've talked to many of you, especially our Patreon subscribers, about what to focus on. I'm hoping to continue to strengthen the relationship with WCBE, but also to bring a bright local mind on board to help me with production and all other aspects of the show but I will say you're likely to notice the tinkering and the tweaking we're going to be doing on a week-to-week basis. Of course, I'd really appreciate your support through Patreon for $3 a month. If you can check out our website at prognosisohio.com, every dollar we receive is going to go towards making it possible to do community-oriented, increasingly high-quality, and sustainable work that creates a forum for discussing health and healthcare here in the great state of Ohio. Okay, now to the show. Here's my conversation with two people who are certainly well-known to the listeners who follow the comings and goings and ups and downs at the Ohio Statehouse. I'm talking about David DeWitt and Jake Zuckerman of the Ohio Capital Journal, one of our favorite news outlets here in Ohio. Hey, David and Jake, good to have you both. Thanks for being with us today.
1: Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me on. So uh,
0: my, my thought yeah, as we start off this new season of Prognosis, Ohio was to see if we could do a little bit of a roundup. It's been a few months since we had a show. you know, a k- kind of a, a state of the state of things at the state house, if you will. And, you know, just to um kind of not only look back but look forward a little bit. I know this is a little bit of an impossible task in ways. Um since we last dropped an episode, We've had you know protests at the state house, both in support of and against vaccines. We've had mask requirements. We've had the undoing of mask requirements. We've had a bevy of legislation, some passed, uh, even more proposed at this time to ban all sorts of public health uh, measures, um, including routine vaccinations, far beyond COVID. So this is not just about COVID. It's also just kind of our state orienting itself to public health in some ways. We of course had the really high profile uh, state house hearings with a a physician claiming that, you know, the COVID vaccinations were going to magnetize us, which I think David, you called this a national embarrassment. And I I agree, it wasn't a nice look for Ohio and it got a lot of attention beyond. Um, And we've had the vaccine million, we've had all sorts of different kinds of things that have happened. It's been a long, strange trip. So I I guess I just want to start by saying, you know, I I mean, COVID's on the rise again, especially among kids, which the Ohio Capital Journal and Jake in particular has covered. you know, how do we make sense of this this summer? How do we make sense of where we've been and we're heading into a new legislative season now? And we're in the middle of this, so it can be hard to get perspective sometimes. I, I guess I'll start with David since, you know, as, as editor, you're kind of looking at the 360 of what the Ohio Capital Journal is doing. How do you think about where we've been and how do you think you're going to start to process this, uh, maybe even remember it, uh, you know, down the line?
1: Well, I think it's been an interesting summer because we started with a lot of optimism. The vaccines were being rolled out. They were being opened up to a wider and wider variety of the population. Different age groups were getting access, and we were seeing increasing vaccination. Unfortunately, over the course of the summer, the legislature has done everything in their power to indicate that They're not interested in encouraging vaccination, they're interested in discouraging people taking preventative health measures. And they're pushing a number of bills that hurt the effort to protect people's health. And they're indulging people with some really out there ideas instead of listening to hospitals, experts, and everyone else, and as you mentioned, uh, the COVID pandemic is in now in its fourth wave, it's spiking again, it's impacting children more than ever, and we're in a bad spot. So where we started the summer pretty optimistically, we're in a place now where things are looking grim again.
0: Yeah, I don't think if, if we look back to 2020, when there wasn't this hope that we had for vaccination. Nobody would have guessed. I mean, COVID's—you know—pretty much undone our ability to guess. Every time we thought we had our the kind of our finger on the pulse, something else happens. But the idea that we now have all these vaccinations and all these tools, these public health tools, but don't seem to want them, kind of frames the moment. I mean, Jake, you've done a lot of reporting in this area. So, what what's your kind of three hundred and sixty or, or high level take?
2: It's just kind of unsurprising in the big picture. I mean, we're exactly where it makes sense that we are. We've been dealing with variants since, you know, when did B117 start to emerge? That would have been like January. We knew that there were problems with vaccines. We knew that there was political resistance to widespread vaccination. We knew there was a misinformation problem. We knew that conservatives and people in rural areas were just reluctant with these vaccines. Skeptical, hesitant almost seems like the wrong word at this point. I think that the, the attitude is hardened. From vaccine hesitancy into just refusal or antagonism, right? And it's not that surprising, you know, when half the population won't get vaccinated, and there's a new hypertransmissible variant. Of course, there's another wave. I mean, it's it's weird to think that there wouldn't be another wave.
0: So, as journalists, and I, I, I also know you both to be really appreciative of history. And the kind of longer view. Have you thought about how we're going to look back at this at all? I mean, when you think about other pandemics or you think about the role of journalism in covering these kinds of things, I mean, scale scale of one to 10, like how absurd is this? How out of line is this with um, historical precedent? And I wonder if you have a sense of that.
1: I think it's going to be looked at as a shameful period in American history where a significant portion of the population refused to do their part to stop the devastating pandemic and in fact worked against any efforts to stop or slow a devastating pandemic. We're approaching losing more people than the Spanish flu killed. We've already lost more people than World War Two killed Americans that World War Two killed. We've had Nearly 700,000 Americans die, more than 20,000 Ohioans die from this pandemic. And that's not, those aren't just numbers. That's nearly 700,000 families that have been devastated. Yeah. And I think that in the long view of history, when historians look at a party that's denying science, that's flouting medical community advice, that's actively hostile. Toward public health measures during such a big event, it's going to be judged harshly and rightly so.
0: Yeah, I noticed yesterday when President Biden was talking, I mean, a lot A lot of people have written about this. I mean, he's he, he said, I'm losing my patience. We're losing our patience with you. And, and there's been this big push in the public health community and still is there. To say no, no, okay, be patient, work with people, meet them where they are, all this kind of accommodating, um, you know, um, stuff that that we do learn in public health, and it's you know not the worst idea from a starting point, but once you get a sense of you know when people tell you who they are, you know, again and again, believe them, it does kind of push us from this persuasive nudging perspective toward. Something much more stringent, of course, in here in Ohio, though, we don't have a legislature that is ever going to get on board, or at least not as currently composed. And, um, you know, and that means that policy is, is highly constrained. I guess I want to ask you, Jake, so... Uh, you know with with House bill two forty eight I mean where are we with that? can can you i, I can 't keep track and I, I mean I study healthcare and I teach it, but I cannot keep track what what 's banned what 's not what 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 's in place in terms of rules? I mean, do you have a sense and i don 't expect you to be exhaustive either because it 's kind of maddening to keep track of
2: Sure well, right now in Ohio and employers have the right to require vaccination among their employees. that right exists. Schools have mandatory vaccination laws, although Ohio allows exemptions for medical reasons, religious reasons, and even philosophical reasons, which is kind of just a catch-all exception. And House Bill 248, which you mentioned, would would basically prohibit any employer or government from requiring vaccination. It makes it easier to get out of any vaccination requirement. I mean, like, it really is just a a huge broadside on any kind of compulsory vaccination, but there's an important distinction to be made between a government mandate versus an employer mandate. Right. Because one of, you know, one of those is just that it's, it's the government. And one of them is just someone who wants a safe workplace. You know, one of them is just someone who says you do not have the right to willfully accept this huge risk of carrying and spreading an infectious disease, and bringing it in here. It won't be acceptable. And 248 would ban both the government mandates and that employer mandate.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're making these distinctions, as you should, and as people who appreciate details should. But sometimes it just, everything seems to get all mixed up. I mean, everything's a HIPAA violation to people who don't understand the first thing about HIPAA. Uh, the difference, you know, personal freedom is um, being talked about when it, things have nothing to do with personal freedom. You know, it's just a, a time where there's a lack of conceptual clarity about anything, which is not, you know, unusual in politics. It's Politics is not always about the details of policies. But it seems almost just hypercharged right now. You, you note, David, in a piece you wrote recently, the bill covers vaccinations against preventable infectious diseases beyond COVID 19, like polio, measles, flu, and more. And I mean, it's just stunning to David's point about history and, and how that will seem. I guess I, I just want to know I mean, is this the most extreme bill nationally? Is this in line with others? Um, are there worse ones? Where does Ohio stand?
1: I'm not sure how it compares to other proposed or enacted legislation nationally, but I will point out that this is not a new goal there. These anti-vaccination groups that have been around for a long time, this has always been their goal. I think they, they are using the pandemic as an opportunity to attack any mandatory vaccination for any vaccine. And they have, a certain segment of the population and a large segment of Republican politicians who are very sympathetic to them right now, including the chairman of the Ohio House Health Committee. Mm -hmm. And so I think that they see this as a far greater opportunity than anything to do with COVID. I think that they see this as their opportunity to get what they've been after for many years, long before the pandemic. And I know they're going after it in Ohio I have no doubt they're going after it in many other states as well. Jake, do you have a sense of that national picture?
2: Well, there's definitely a national movement. I mean, I know that some of the big Republican states, Florida, Texas, one of the Dakotas, um, has moved on these kind of ban the mandates bills. So there's clearly something big happening. But there's a point to be made that, you know, Health Freedom Ohio, who's one of those Anti-vaccination groups, Dave mentioned. It's either them or Ohio advocates for medical freedom. We have two prominent ones in Ohio, but there was some research on Facebook advertising and who's paying for these ads, and which of the two is escaping me right now. But one of those was like the third largest buyer of anti-vaccine ads. So we have this really funded, mobilized group facing, you know, who's been working on this issue for a while, and, and like Dave said, this is just a you know, a pandemic in a sick way is kind of a blessing for them because all of a sudden most Americans are just face to face with public policy in a way that they probably have never been before. You know, a lot of people don't vote, don't really pay attention to politics, but now there's this vaccine mandate that they don't want. And there's one political party that is for it and one political party who's against it. And it's just, it's more difficult to avoid politics right now than I think it was a couple of years ago.
0: I mean, it's, it's a moment of incredible cognitive dissonance. You know, uh, Mitch McConnell, somebody that I d- don't generally have too many nice things to say about, especially on the policy and the politics front. Uh, but, you know, out there, he, he's talking about the importance of vaccination because he's a polio survivor, right? And, and there's this almost this question of people who can remember. Uh, I mean, I, I, I you know it's a little bit out of scope for today, but I think about this with regard to things like what's going on with abortion and and discuss, discussions of potentially undoing Roe versus Wade. And we, we have a whole generation of young people who have never lived in a world without Roe versus Wade. And there seems to be almost this lack of interest in what that world might actually look like, you know, through all of the political, uh, fights that are, that are taking place. So it's a moment where a little bit of historical look back or even looking around the country and seeing what other States are doing can be really useful, but most people don't really engage in that kind of work.
2: I, I would make one point here that it's on like the liberty front. You hear all these arguments about liberty and personal freedoms and stuff. My personal experience has been a lot of that really is just like a agreeable exterior to the argument. But when you really start to peel back the layers, at the end of the day, there's a hostility to vaccines that are below it. You hear a lot about personal freedoms, but then you just hear these weird offhand remarks about people talking about vaccine injury in children, and they're coming for our children, and they is never clearly defined. And I, I just, I I hesitate to really call this a freedom and liberty issue. I think it, it just ignores this real misunderstanding, whether willful or accidental, about vaccines that I think is at the heart of it all.
1: I absolutely agree with that. I think the freedom and liberty is a political rhetorical framing. And I think it's actually an offensive one to me, because what about our freedom? What about the freedom of people who have done the right thing, who have been vaccinated, who' are socially distanced, who stayed home, who quarantined, who followed all the rules, who tried to do everything right, and we saw the light at the end of the tunnel here. We saw an opportunity here to put this pandemic as much behind us as you can in this time frame and we have we have freedoms too like john Stuart mill said your right to swing your fist ends where my nose begins like terry smith wrote in a column that we ran recently you don't have freedom to pour raw sewage into your neighbor's yard you don't have freedom to affect other people's health and well-being we live in a society it's the social contract So I I would like to reframe that in terms of the freedom of everybody else to return to a normal society where we're not afraid for our children's health, for our health, for our immunocompromised friends and family's health. We have freedom too, and we've done our part. Why should the people who haven't done their part, who have worked against every effort to protect public health, why should their freedom be prioritized?
0: So through most of the pandemic, uh, Governor DeWine has remained mostly resistant to some of the extreme shenanigans coming out of the statehouse, at least with COVID policy, right? And this has been something, I mean, you can tell me if, if you have a different take on it than I do, but that's been my read of him for the most part. And I think the public health community has been pleased with at least some of that resistance while understanding the incredibly difficult political situation that the governor finds himself in. Back in May, Jake, you described the governor and the legislature as clashing. Um, and I, I guess I just want to know, is that changing at all? Do you get a sense that the governor's position on public health generally in some of these extreme bills has softened? Uh, has the political calculus changed or is it kind of where it's been um, even a year ago or so?
2: I, I guess I'd draw a line between rhetoric and action a bit. I mean, I think that Mike DeWine is still coming out and telling people to get vaccinated and he's still letting Dr. Vanderhoef and the health department lead the way. But there, there's a political reality here, which is that Mike DeWine had his veto veto overridden on Senate Bill 22, which was a a pretty broad weakening of Ohio's public health laws. And it, it is why your city, if you're in Ohio, cannot, your city health department at least, cannot file a mask mandate and why the health state health department cannot impose a mask mandate or impose social distancing rules. So the legislature has demonstrated a clear ability and willingness to completely override and to a degree humiliate the governor. You know, this is his own party. So I think that it's a real... It's a stab at the governor when that happens. He has a primary coming up. He's taking heat from the right here. A lot of heat on the pandemic. So I think when you look at, you know, there was a bill that didn't have much of a practical effect a few months ago, but it was passed to basically say that vaccines that are only approved under an emergency use authorization from the FDA cannot be mandated. And Mike DeWine signed it, which is a real reversal from everything he said about vaccines. And in that clash story you mentioned, he said, I will never sign anything that, you know, weakens my abilities as the governor. And he did sign that, which on its face seems like a total contradiction. But then you look at the fact that plenty of colleges went ahead and imposed mandates anyways, because the bill didn't take legal effect for 90 days between its passage and the date and the FDA ended up coming through with full authorization anyway. So we could quibble about it. You know, we could say, did he back down and cave to the right? Or did he just sign something that had no practical effect, but maybe placated the right? I don't know. But there's clearly something different from the kind of meeker Mike DeWine that we're seeing today versus March 2020 Mike DeWine, where he just said, I'm going to grab this sucker by the horns and I'm going to do anything I can do to to stop it.
0: Yeah, and you'd expect that to only continue as we get closer to, you know, re-election and kind of the the political cycle of things as well. I mean, David, is that your take as well? Or do you want to add anything to that?
1: Yeah, no, I think it's become clear that views have hardened, as Jake mentioned earlier about this issue and for a governor facing a Republican primary amongst a primary base that represents the hardening of those anti-vaccine views yeah, he's going to be more hesitant to take strident action here at this time. What's interesting to me is regarding Senate Bill twenty two. I remember him saying at the time, um, "I, I don't want this to disturb the power of future administrations during future pandemics." Basically, assuming that because we had the vaccines rolling out and things were getting better, that it wasn't going to be too relevant to this current pandemic. Well, since then, we've gone into this fourth wave. School is going back to session. Many schools are going back to non-in-person classes because of outbreaks. And it's back in front of us already, again, in front of his administration, not a future governor. And this time he's shrinking from it. So when I took a break from this podcast to
0: kind of you know, attend to my mental health and to get my affairs in order a little bit this summer and just kind of catch up with some other work projects and things like that. You know, I, I think uh, part of me, and I should have known better, thought, well, you know, um, when we get close to the fall, COVID will, um, you know, probably be in a different place and it's in a worse place. And I did not guess that. So we are again here, I've talked to you for 20 or so minutes and it's all COVID all the time. But, you know, in as we kind of Wrap up. I, I want to ask you a more forward looking question. I've been a little bit glass half empty about things, and um, I, there's a lot of reason to be glass half empty. But what kind of things are you anticipating happening aside from 248 and how that works through? And I'm also looking beyond COVID. I mean, we have this Texas abortion bill um, that is clearly, you know, got uh, Ohio Right to Life and others excited here in Ohio. Uh, will Ohio follow that? Will they, you know, I, what kinds of things are you? Anticipating as we look into the fall months that are coming.
2: Yeah, you hit on some of them. I would very much expect something up the Texas road as far as an abortion bill. I would expect constitutional carry or permitless carry or whatever you want to call it. Everyone has a natural right to carry a concealed weapon. Uh, sports betting will probably come up. So if you're looking for the glass half full, hopefully we can bet on sports in Ohio. <laughs> um, Not to to advocate for anything, but man, would I love to place a bet on sports in Ohio. And yeah, I mean, I, I think those will come up. And I think it's also just pretty clear that these legislatures move in tandem with each other in a way. Like when you see Bill X come through, like transgender sports is a great example. They tend to hit all the Republican state houses pretty quickly. There's a clear coordinated effort there. So I think if you start to see whatever idea start to emerge in Texas, Florida, Mississippi, et cetera, it's probably a safe bet that we're going to see it here in Ohio, at least introduced.
0: Yeah. And of course, I mean, all of these intersect with issues we talk about in the show. I mean, the the open carry discussions and the expansion of, of access to guns in the state would be regarded by the public health community as as a really significant public health concern as well. David, do you want to add anything?
1: Well, the thing that I'm interested to see with House Bill 248 is that the last we heard from leadership on it, they and after the nationally embarrassing performance of Tenpenny and others at that first hearing, they kind of threw cold water on it. They said, you know, when Lips held a second hearing, they said, well, we're not sure what we're going to do with this or when. So it seems to me like Scott Lips and the anti-vaxxer community have... A little bit more of a lift with leadership at least um, to get 248 back on on the tracks so I'm interested to see if leadership continues to throw cold water on that or if they become more amenable to 248 because they're also getting big pressure from big business Republicans um, against 248 as far as the abortion thing I Ohio legislators love to write new abortion laws, so I wouldn't be surprised for them to write another one. But I will also point out that they already have written one that says basically if Roe v. Wade is overturned, abortion becomes outlawed in Ohio when that takes effect. So they've, they've already geared the state up to make abortion illegal if Roe v. Wade goes down. And that might be another tactic that they're using on that. And as far as permitless carry, yeah, absolutely. They'll probably go forward on that. We've seen in the face of Governor DeWine calling for uh, red flag laws and things like that, they passed stand your ground. I have no doubt that they'll go forward with permitless concealed carry. Well, you
0: kind of um, made the glass even less half-empty, uh, so I'm yeah. just going to ask you, is there anything Is there anything you're excited about, anything positive, anything that we're like, you know what, this is happening? I mean, there are some things that Ohio does well
1: in some cases. Something to be positive about. Well, I do think that with regard to the redistricting fight, uh, Chief Justice um, O'Connor voted against gerrymandering last time. She voted against the current maps. I don't think that Republicans can count on her if they force through a four-year maps to support their gerrymandering, if that's what they end up doing. So it's that that could be a possible win on the horizon. And, um, and, and Jake, aside from sports betting,
0: uh, anything you're excited about?
2: If, if you're looking for a glass half full, no, I mean i I have some pers- I have some personal items of interest that I think will make some good stories, but no, I think that the Ohio legislature is moving in a pretty clear direction here. Yeah, So if you're looking for policy to reduce gun violence or to reduce the spread of coronavirus, you you might have come to the wrong state house. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, I, and, and I don't mean to make light of it at all. Like these are serious times. We have a crisis that's killing people, ravaging the state and a legislature that is uh, spending its time, mostly going after the tools that we know we have to address these kinds of things. So, uh, but, you know, I just always like to at least try to to keep a broader view, you know, there, there's so much, uh, you know, I I know a lot of these people as you do. I mean, you interact with folks at the state house and people who work at, you know, the department of Medicaid or Ohio department of health. And even while you have leaders pandering and doing pretty abominable things, you have really committed people trying their best to find any way to move the ball forward, you know?
1: I think that's a great point, uh, Dan. And so here, here's where I'll give you some positivity and it won't lie with Ohio's elected leaders. It lies with the everyday people working every day to do good things for their community, whether it's people on the ground leading efforts to convince people to get vaccinated, or is whether people on the ground leading the effort to make sure that people don't go hungry. There are a lot of people out there in Ohio every day working very hard to help others to build our communities and make other people's lives better. And that's who I look to for optimism, yeah. not our elected leaders. Uh, David DeWitt, Jake
0: Zuckerman, Ohio Capital Journal, thanks for all you do. Thanks for tracking all of these uh, myriad issues around the state when um, they would probably get lost if you weren't. I mean, there are other people doing work, too, but you guys really have your ear to the ground. So
1: thanks. Thank you, Dan. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Dan.
0: This episode of Prognosis Ohio was hosted and produced by me, Dan Skinner. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show and follow us on Twitter at @PrognosisOhio. Prognosis Ohio. And check our website out at prognosisohio.com, where you can listen to past episodes and find out how you can support the show. As always, we encourage you to reach out with your suggestions and your feedback, and you'll find links on the website to do just that. As I like to mention, we welcome ideas for themes you'd like to hear us talk about on the show as well. Okay, that's it for now. Stay healthy and be well.